This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Good afternoon. Welcome to an exciting show today. Really, really looking forward to this. This is the last in season one, as we are titling this, of Curious Coaches Club. And we started this way back, well, probably about the first week of lockdown, end of March, start of April. And we've been going every Monday all the way through to now. So we've decided to go out on a high with three awesome guests and talk about a program that many of you would have watched that's been really, really interesting. And what we're planning to do today is to really get into the topic linked to the program Rising Phoenix. As always, the conversations will continue in connected coaches. So feel free to get involved in the conversations there. And any questions, thoughts, etc., please make sure that you put them into the chat box today. And we can pose these to our great guests. So let's get into the topic because it's a brilliant one. And I'm slightly nervous that we'll run out of time really quickly, simply because there'll be so much cool stuff to talk about. So we're going to uh, introduce ourselves to these, th- or, or the three guests will introduce themselves to us. And I would like you to do this uh, with your first sentence being uh, three words that describe you as a person. So I don't want to know what you do for a job. You know, that stuff can follow. Um don't want to know if you've been digging up your driveway again this weekend, Ricky. That, uh, let's hear who you are as a person. So how would somebody describe you? Um, Francis, we'll start with you. So feel free to unmute yourself. Um, so how, how would you describe yourself as a person? Hi. Um, that's a tough one to start the morning with, isn't it? Um, passionate, chatty and caring. Very nice, very good. So (laughs) tell us a bit about your background. Why have have we uh, ended up with you on our show today? Cool, okay. So um, I've got quite a um, windy path to being here. Um, I started off coaching when I was quite young um, in paddle sport. Um, Had a career in outdoor education for many years. Um, Went through, was tutoring coaches and coach developers, development, not developers. then I had a brain injury in 2011 playing rugby, which was a bit of a U-turn. Um, and so I had to rediscover both my sport and my coaching in a slightly different way. Um, from there, I've gone on and I've done para canoe um, racing that, which was pretty inspiring. Again, I saw what was um, possible in a very different way. Um, and since retiring from there, I've started coaching wheelchair basketball and I'm head coach of Dragons and Fletchlings wheelchair and junior basketball teams in South Wales. Brilliant. Some great experiences we can definitely dip into there. Fantastic. Jude, let's hear your three words. Oh, God, uh, that's... Mm, um, I guess... <sighs> Driven, um, loyal, and caring, probably people would describe me as. Very good, very good. Um, and tell us a little bit about your kind of potted history. 
Um, so I started playing wheelchair basketball uh, in 2007. Um, I was born with my disability. I've got um, one leg shorter than the other. It's called PFFD um, and chose to have my leg amputated at the age of 15, um, following like upwards of 30 surgeries um, to try and correct the length difference. Um, and once I became an amputee, I kind of felt like I fitted in more in the disabled community. I felt like I could start saying yes to more things. So I started going to basketball and fell in love with it. It was the first time I'd been able to play sport, really, and have that feeling of like running, I guess, and falling over and not being afraid of hurting myself. And yeah, so so far I've uh, done that for the last, what, 12 years um, for GB from 2009. Um, we're currently second in the world and second in Europe and aiming for a final in Tokyo, all being well. Um, for the majority of my career, I've also been a student. So I've got a master's degree in pharmacology and biotechnology at the same time. So been pretty busy. <laughs> wow, just a bit. Yeah, I'm sure that, again, there's def definitely stuff that we should dip into there. And Ricky, I, I, I'll let you answer your three words. I mean, I would obviously have my own knowing you, but um, uh, yeah, feel free to unmute yourself and um, let's hear your, your, your three words to describe yourself. Oh, whether you'll agree with them, Nick, I would say I'm open, um, tenacious and um, very passionate about my sport. So, yeah, yeah, agreed. I would go with them. Very good. <laughs> So again, you know, we can see a little bit of the background for you today there. So tell us a bit about what, what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, so I, I'm an ex-athlete, but uh, I don't, I'm an able-bodied athlete, not had any impairments um, and competed um, until I had a couple of children, at which point I was asked, uh, I'd always done a bit of coaching throughout my um, shooting career, uh, be it club or county level. Um, coaching, I then um, got asked to help with our para squad, um, following a big change in, in like the classifications. Um, yeah, that was back in 2013. Been working with the para team since now. Um, the lead coach uh, and working currently directly with four athletes, um, three of which have got uh, well, two of which are going to the games um, next year. Um, uh, and one with a, a good chance of going as well. So, um, yeah, busy um, currently at Lillishall, our national sports centre, and I've been coaching all morning um, and be back out in the sunshine this afternoon. Very good, very good. So, uh, Rising Phoenix, um, what, what, what did you make of it as, as people with um, experiences within disability sport, uh, what were the kind of key things, themes that jumped out at you? Firstly, you know, did it give a true representation of what you thought uh, either, you know, Jude, from your experiences as, a, as an athlete in New Francis as well within that world? Or, or was it a, an edited fictional version? Um, because obviously we're watching the end product as a documentary. So what are the kind of key things that jumped out for you from that? Let's start with you, Francis, then. What, what kind of thoughts did it give for you? Lovely. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was quite an emotional big watch, first watch. Um, in, in, in what a way? In what way? Um, so when you look at people's stories and people's journeys, um, but I think, so it was quite inspirational in that way. It really demonstrated what was possible. Um, one of the things that really 
stuck out to me, however, with it and kind of made it a bit more bit harder in some ways and got me thinking is that all of the athletes shown there have really easy to see easy to understand disabilities um you know um i think just now when jude said when she lost her leg um it made her feel as if she could access parasport more easily um that that was something that i think um it's quite a big barrier to people maybe with more hidden or more complex disabilities um so that was something that really struck me was missing that you know there weren't people with less obvious disabilities slightly more complex for people to relate to um on the other hand though we have to start somewhere and i think this is really changing people's perceptions and some of the um comments around barriers to ambulant um, people with, you know, disabled people with ambulant disabilities, um, using wheelchairs. Just to explain what an ambulant disability is, Francis. Okay. So of coaches that may not, and, and this will be from my education as much as anything, but just uh, some of that jargon around it. So ambulant is basically someone who can walk. Okay. okay. So they get around on their feet. They may use a chair sometimes, but they, they can walk and would generally walk um so people with ambulant disabilities um using chairs or even people with disabilities using a wheelchair for the first time because of the public perception of that you know and i think i think that was really interesting um that that was something that really struck me when one of the athletes who had no legs said that they were really concerned about they didn't want to play wheelchair rugby because they had legs, so why would they want to? They didn't have legs, but they've never used a wheelchair. Why would they want to use a wheelchair? Um, and I think I think that was um, really quite poignant to me, um, certainly. And then I guess the last thing, which is really positive about it, actually, is that they showed everyone as athletes, as individuals, but not necessarily as their disability. So the show was all about their disability. It was about them as a human, them as a person. And I think everybody in sport has a story to tell. Um, everyone in sports had a journey and they've overcome hurdles to get to where they are, whether it's Olympic, Paralympic, able-bodied, you know, um, less able people. And um, yeah, it's, I think that's quite nice that you could focus on what people did have, what they could use, and people's abilities rather than their disabilities. Um, so I think yeah. that's that's my overriding positive from it. Yeah, brilliant. I, I, I think you're right. That that's starting somewhere and a big step forward as well um, is it, it, great. Um, definitely, really, really important piece there. Jude, what about yourself? How, did you have the athlete's lens on things and, and how did that kind of make you feel watching it? Um, yeah, I guess I probably did. I don't have much coaching experience, so I guess it's... And uh, I've competed at London and Rio, so a little bit of it was kind of a bit of a trip down memory lane, like made a little cameo in the London bit. So you can see the, my back at one point. Um, <laughs> I'd agree with a lot of what Francis said like about... Um, 
kind of more complex, less visible disabilities. I think they're still kind of like this limbo almost. Like I have a very obvious disability now in terms of being an amputee, but um, a lot of the my limitations or things I need to work around with my coaches come from my my congenital disability. Um, and those things are things that people maybe look, have looked at in the past in my in different aspects of my life and gone, oh, we were an amputee, so you can just do all these things. Like that's you're just missing a foot. You can do everything, but actually, I'm I'm more complicated than that. And those are the, the elements that I struggle to try like to explain to people and for people to understand how to work with me. Um, and if you're not kind of one of yeah, if you don't have a disability that fits into kind of like a spinal cord injury, an amputee, one of the ones that's more obvious and. Yeah, it's quite it can be quite difficult to work to be in para sport from that aspect. So I think that was a really good point. Um yeah, I guess it's kind of more emotional for me because a lot of it was kind of like things that I lived through, like through London and stuff. Um I guess I kind of feel weird about the way that we use um the superhuman thing. Um I really like the way that they advertise like for London, like with the um thanks for the warm-up stuff. I thought that was really cool. Um, and at the time I was what well, I was 21, so I was really excited about the games and just thought it was really I didn't really have a lot of opinions on how we were we were um portrayed and just was really excited to go to the games and just that was all I was worried about was being at the games. And I think now I'm now I'm a bit older um and I have more experience, I find that kind of superhuman tagline a little bit frustrating. Um I don't Obviously, yeah, like everyone's got a story, like Francis said, every athlete has their story, every athlete's had a journey. I don't think it necessarily makes you superhuman to have become successful and be disabled. I don't think that makes you, I, I don't know, I think everyone has their their things that they go through in their life, whether that's, you know, from your your home background or you have a disability or what that, whatever that is. I don't, and I think it's great if you can achieve despite what life throws at you but i don't think it makes you a superhuman necessarily and i wouldn't want to be considered something like different for having just worked hard with what i was given um so yeah. I found that element a little bit tricky to kind of to agree with um from a team sport athlete perspective i would have quite liked to see a team sport i feel like obviously like francis said like it's a really great step forward to have these documentaries out there and have them on netflix and people talking about them on twitter and I think the the feedback from the, the film has been really great, but as a team sport athlete, I don't think that there's much out there about being in a team sport unless it's rugby or football. Um, and I would really like to see more of that. And like, I think you can get re really behind the scenes and like how those elements work in individual and team sport. How do those teams work together and how do coaches and athletes work together and what yeah. dynamics like? And that's the kind of, maybe that's because I'm an, I have experience in Paris, but I want to see kind of more of how those dynamics work. Um, but yeah, like Francis said, like it's a great step forward to even have those sports out there in the first place. And I think something that coming from quite a big sport like wheelchair basketball, we don't really ever go to multi-sport events unless they were at the Paralympics. So we don't see other athletes. Um, so when you go to the Paralympics, you see all these other athletes from different countries we never really interact with. And to realise that the opportunities we're given in this country, because we were fortunate enough to be born in this country, are immense compared to some people. So when you go to the Paralympics, you have um, Otto Bock always there. And there are people there walking around without a leg, 
just literally on a stick, like trying to get from A to B. And we're complaining because our five grand leg isn't quite fitting right. And you're like, I really need to, it gives you a little bit of humility, I guess, that like we are really fortunate and obviously things could always be better. But I, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's quite humbling to go to a games like that and to see those, I quite enjoyed seeing those stories of people who've, you know, been through just the most, the wildest things. Um, and we complain about like, in 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 contrast, it feels like it's quite trivial things compared to some of the things that people have been through from different countries. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think there's just a lot to unpick. Mm, absolutely. What did you make of the statement at the start then about um, the Olympics is where heroes are made, the Paralympics is where the heroes go? I don't really know what that means. If I'm honest, um, I've spent a lot of time kind of like thinking about, about that one afterwards, and I was like, well, what I don't know. I guess it's different. It's difficult, isn't it? If you have lived your life as a dis- disabled person, it doesn't. It's just normal to you to to mm-hmm. get your day and to just go through what you go through. And I guess if you have never had a disability, never had to spend time in a wheelchair or on crutches, and never had to view the world from a disabled person's point of view, maybe it is quite inspiring, and maybe it does feel like these people are superhuman and they are heroes um, to have done all these things despite the world not being built for you um i'm not against it i just don't know really what it means maybe that's just because i've just always lived my life like this so it doesn't feel like i'm doing extraordinary that is normal that is just yeah 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 ricky what about you then what's uh what are the kind of key themes that jumped out to you from a from a coaching perspective i think um what struck me was every single athlete in that um in the film at some point it'd be told they couldn't do something or it would be hard for them to do something because of their impairment. And as a coach, it made me sit there and think, well, who who are we to tell somebody they can't do something? If they believe they can, then then who should be telling them they can't? Um, um, And um, it's quite um, noticeable that, that the athletes with the congenital conditions or those who acquired their disability very early on in life um, all of their parents or or someone within their family or, or support network kind of pushed them. You know, you had Matt Stutzman, whose dad would, you know, let him sit up a tree. It for was harsh on him, wasn't yeah, it, at times? Yeah, sit up a tree for 40 minutes because you get up, you've got to get back down. Doesn't matter. I mean, he's not a cat. Yeah, like, you know, To see someone leaving a cat up a tree going, you're going to have to find your way down. But that's another person. Exactly. Yeah. And a child as well. Exactly. Um, and then you've got, like, Riley's um, grandpa who bought him a motorbike. Just and A lot of what they wanted was... Um, to help their children feel feel normal and and um i think Edward Gutman was was really key on trying to make people feel that they they fitted into normal um society fitted back in and 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 that's what what the athletes in in the video itself you know kind of wanted to do and like baby the fencer you know fenced before she had meningitis and and she didn't want meningitis to, to stop her from fencing. Um, she didn't even want to do um, wheelchair fencing because, you know, she didn't feel that, that she was she needed to use a wheelchair. Um, but she just wanted to get back to the normality and the smell, she said, of her gym and, and the sport. So I think that was quite, um, yeah, really powerful that, that everyone just wanted to, to just be accepted. 
Um, I think London went a long way to helping us as a nation um, understand that um, it is the games are about the sport, um, not about um, you know seeing what people can do. It's genuinely about the sport, and I think as a nation we have become more accepting. I think there is a hell of a lot more that we need to do, but um, having travelled the world with with our team, um, it is quite noticeable how how far ahead we are of other countries. Um, which is which is a shame, um, but does give you a, a perspective on actually, um, actually we are getting some stuff right in the UK. Definitely more we could do, um, but we are we are moving forwards. Um, I think it was also for me one of the the most striking things, and and something that the athletes I work with like see and feel on a daily basis is when they use the Olympic money. For the Paralympic Games in Rio, it made them feel like, oh, we're almost not, we're not worth it. And you see it with sponsorship all the time, and even just the, you know, Judah will know that that probably the kit that the Paralympians get compared to the kit that the Olympic athletes get isn't as much. Is you know they don't get half as much of, of kit or pairs of trainers or anything like that. So. Um, it's that feeling of oh we're not quite we don't quite deserve as much when actually they put in exactly the same amount of training hours, same amount of heart commitment, um, and actually, a lot of the time facing it, it tougher as well because of all the additional things going on in their lives, um, just just to just to live you know normally, um, yeah, it's just feels a bit disrespectful at times and I think um yeah the athletes really felt it in Rio knowing that their, their kind of money had been pinched and the games almost didn't go ahead and you know I went to Rio and I don't until I watched the documentary I don't think I'd realized how close to it not happening it was to be honest. Jude mm. did you have kind of similar frustrations around the finances it was uh, you know big moment in the in the program. Yeah, I don't think I knew about that at the time. Um, maybe I was a little bit blinkered to it. I was in third year at uni, so I was trying to just survive huh. third year and getting to a Paralympics. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of a running joke, really, with um, you know other people that I know in para sport about the fact that the Olympians get more than we do, and like um, it's not really a joke, is it? It's not that funny. Um, <laughs> um, talk about like I guess because I'm I guess I'm a little bit jaded in it and the fact that like London was my first game so we were given the world for London because it was a home game you treated like royalty um, and then to go to Rio was just such a reality check like um, yeah it just it just wasn't the standard that we would be used to like even for not even for a Paralympic, some of the stuff that we, that was kind of, I don't know, just the, the standard wasn't what we would expect from a tournament. Um, and it is, yeah, it's it's not funny, but it is kind of just the expectation that the Olympians get better quality than we do. Um, did have a bit of a run-in in our kitting out um, process about the fact that we weren't given basketball shorts because we didn't have an Olympic basketball team going to Rio. Um, so their solution was to give us fleece trousers and to cut the them off at the, at the to make shorts. 
don't know if I should really be talking about this, but um, yeah, that was kind of like the a given. Like the, we got we got given basketball shorts in London because we had an Olympic team, but they hadn't made basketball shorts for Rio because we didn't have an Olympic team going, and that was just that was okay. That was accepted because Paralympic sport isn't regarded in the same way. Yeah, we've definitely got some work to do there. I think um, at policy level, so that you know you guys as coaches and athletes don't feel like the poor relation in, in those kind of experiences and and as you said Ricky it's you know it should be seen genuinely about the sport um, on a par with with mainstream able-bodied Olympic Games it's, it's just another competition. Francis does this kind of chime to some of your experiences as well from a para canoe and then a basketball world? Yeah I mean with para canoe we were quite lucky British canoeing tried quite hard to equalized quite well but of course they're in the Paralympics as well with sprint and slalom um I think um I think around this area it was it was when they said that the Paralympics is parallel sport and not paralyzed or exclusively for paralyzed and people think that the meaning of the Paralympics is to do with paralysis rather than it being parallel to other sports um certainly with funding i know um when i dipped into athletics not long after my brain injury and i'm hoping this is sorted it did seem to be like funding levels were very different for the normally abled athletes to the power athletes um on funding and things um and just the resources the coaching the training camps and all those sorts of things that were available to you um, the opportunities were just so much more, just the opportunity for more competition as well in general. Um, and I think, I think especially when I'm looking at it now as a more community-based coach, that's where a lot of the issues start to come in because, of course, a lot of sports funding comes in from Paralympic sport. If you don't fit or if there's not a Paralympic category for your sport, there isn't really a disability ongoing route for you to continue in that sport if that kind of makes sense yeah um i mean things like walking netball walking rugby and stuff like that they're starting to break down a few of those barriers but looking at how many sports are genuinely parallel or inclusive at a community level which actually do meaningful training as in towards a goal within that sport rather than pan-disability sport. And there's not actually very much. There's certainly not round by me. And I think it it reflects quite strongly. Um, but it also means that if you want to do a sport, you're, you're looking at the Paralympics from the start, even at a grassroots level, unless you're going to fit into that. The sport, the coaching, the training can be quite difficult to access um, because obviously national governing bodies are funded through equations which come from Paralympic success and Olympics. And I'm sure there's many, many disabled people that don't want to be a disabled athlete. They don't no. not necessarily don't want to think that the Paralympics is where they want to go. They might want to just compete and take part for the pure benefit and enjoyment of sport rather than a talent pathway right is that would that be fair yeah, definitely absolutely and um certainly with 
Um, so I've set up a local wheelchair basketball club just in the county where I am. Um, and it's very much grassroots. And we've got some younger children who are really, you know, quite aspirational towards um, becoming a Paralympian at some point. Then I've got other people that are just family people who happen not to be able to do running sports or join in on a normal athletics track and they come and play wheelchair basketball. They bring their able-bodied kids as well and have a really good social family session. You know, they can actually, they're part of a community. It's just a sporting community at a grassroots level, just for good mental health, general fitness and well-being. And um, I think that's one of the areas where we need development, not only do disability specific sports such as wheelchair basketball who do allow able-bodied players to compete which is one of its strengths um we need um general everyday local clubs your local football team being able to involve on some level someone in the community who may be slightly differently abled even if it's at a grassroots and a basic competition level and i think that's where you know as coaches we can make a real difference in just being a bit creative to move disability sport forward normalize it because it's visible it's there in society you grow up around it you know if you grow up with people with disabilities just being normal human beings around you they're normal human beings you know for the rest of your life and that that will just sit with you and influence how you interact with other people with disabilities later on in your life as well so sure ricky jude what do you make of uh, of that yeah absolutely um there does need to be a bit more visibility at the grassroots level i mean we are lucky as a sport um, of archery that actually you can compete at the same level you know you compete at the same competitions um and we can have um an athlete in a wheelchair um a junior someone in their 60s all competing at the same competition on the same target so we are really lucky as a sport that that we can do that and you know there was even an athlete in in rio who competed um at the olympics um and then competed two weeks later at the paralympics um so we do have that ability that if you don't classify within the the ipc parameters it doesn't mean that you're um you can't go on to do um elite sport but also it is a great community that even just at, at like club and county level people can join in and compete and everybody's as one um i think the challenge is always is people coaches maybe not understanding that that actually um people can you know they, they might look at somebody you know if, if you know um matt stutzman who was in the video who's got no arms came into your, your local archery club and said i want to do archery i'm pretty sure um 99 of, of coaches wouldn't you know um want to almost take on that challenge um and i think there's there's this notion or or that 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 coaches will have all the answers and working with athletes with impairments i i don't know the answers you know um and i can't i can't tell you um 
how to go about coaching someone with a disability because every single person is different you know two people with cerebral palsy are completely different you know you can't you can't teach somebody to to coach you know it's about having that um collaborative approach and accepting you know and and saying you know we need to do this together it's it's something you do together with an athlete and if they believe they can do it well listen to them you know if the, if they can figure out a way i would say 90% of like the equipment innovations that we have have started from an athlete and and like their support network or someone at their club coming up with a bit of a bit of an idea um and it stemmed from there because they're the experts in their disability um so we should be listening to to them and not not trying to to tell them that we have the answers for them yeah sure i mean it's a really important point and then i think that it brings in all sorts of collaboration um with you know with universities and tech partners and all sorts of different areas and um who's the guy ricky that won that award at the uk sport conference last year for some for the tech stuff that he'd been doing he was an archery guy wasn't he yeah he's our technician kieran carr he's um yeah and he's been working um to you know develop um assistive devices to to obviously help our athletes um and, and move things along so yeah he works with us but it's having people out there who are willing to to try things and and it is a case of failing again and again and again, but he collaborates with an athlete, they work out the solution together, and then he'll try build it, build it for them and, and they work together and work with the coaches and it's um it's a really important like role and dynamic that, that we have here. Mm -hmm. uh, Jude, have you experienced similar to those kind of things? Um, trying to think where this conversation started. Uh, I guess yeah, we, um, in basketball we're quite lucky, World basketballs quite a large sport in this country we've got a very well-developed um national league and women's league so um i mean i'm in devon there aren't a, a massive amount of opportunities in devon to play there are a couple of teams down here but um on a national level there's it's quite a big sport and there's opportunities to play at a development level all the way up until um international standard and there um there are yeah opportunities for everyone to play kind of recreationally or professionally if you wanted to um so quite fortunate in that respect and I wasn't really aware of how fortunate we were in basketball to have that until um I started uh, talking to other athletes from different sports uh, so my partner is a rower and um we we're talking about just being able to just join in with with sprint races or whatever like if there are meets happening and she can't do that because of the amount of additional support that needs to be in place for power athletes to, to row in those competitions even though her and her partner definitely would be good enough to compete in those races um so you can't so like with covid they won't race um uh until the games and they haven't raced um since the world championships i think so it's that kind of those kind of like um details you miss out on getting the practice of just being in those environments of being on a race exactly. team, yeah. um, and those things are they're really important and there's something we're worrying about for basketball because of covid it's where we get to play um competitive games before before the paralympics 
um but it's not really to the, it's not really an issue because we don't have the, the amount of competition that other sports do like rowing like where they don't they just don't they just can't compete because it just isn't para sport just isn't big enough in that sport for them to be able to do that um so yeah i guess i've not really struggled with it too much in basketball um i did i used to swim before i played basketball um and really enjoyed it and that was kind of my first sport but um it was before London. It was it was you know before Beijing even. So we weren't. So my mum's hoovering. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you can. It's distracting me. Um, and uh, yeah, and I I loved swimming. I swam all my life. And my, me and my sister were swimming with um, Exeter local club. And I worked really hard. Like I was like the oldest kid in the little kiddie pool with the floats, learning just to float in the water with all the able-bodied kids who are like five years younger than me and worked so hard to get up to the level where I could swim competitively with the able-bodied kids of my age. But because they didn't know how to get me into para swimming, that just ended. They didn't have an option for me, so it was just over. Um, and obviously I found other ways of getting into sport and I, I love wheelchair basketball and I found, you know, a career in that, but would I have been able to compete in swimming if there had been more opportunities to do that? I don't, I'll never know. Um, and are those sort of kind of like, yeah, like lower level things. And also just, yeah, like France was saying, like we don't necessarily want to compete at the highest level. And I think it's something I talk about quite a lot. It's not, you can't just assume that because you're disabled, you're going to be a Paralympian or that you want to be a Paralympian because you're disabled and because you play sport. You can't, it, what's, what's uh, wrong with just wanting to play because you enjoy playing with your friends at the weekend and you don't necessarily want to comp like compete every day and you don't want to have to go to training all the time. You don't want to like, you don't want to make it your job. You just want to enjoy playing with your friends. What's wrong with doing that? Why did, why, because you're disabled, do you have to want to compete at the highest level? And I think it kind of trivialises the games when we talk about people automatically competing at the Paralympics because they're disabled. It's a lot of hard work to get to that level and it's not something you can just say, oh, well, you're disabled, so that means you're going to be a Paralympian, that means you're going to win a gold medal. It's not that easy. Um, yeah, I find that element of it a little bit frustrating. <laughs> mm, yeah, I can imagine. We're, we're kind of halfway through now and I guess four of the kind of key points on my many notes I've scribbled down from listening to you guys now was it is really one is about kind of just just being recognized as another person like it's just you're just another human like it's no you normal in the sense that you know you, you still want to feel like you can achieve what other people want to achieve stretch challenge and do everything that you want to try and achieve but recognized as not being superhuman but just another human kind of came through one thing i think that we need to consider is how we do better to share experiences across disability sport so you talked about how you know you might not mix with too many other disabled athletes but we work hard to do it in some sports where uh, or, or in coaches where we'll mix coaches together from different sports but perhaps we don't do it well enough with the athletes and how we can kind of, especially if we're going to work in this virtual Zoom type world that we've all lived in for the last six months, it must be easier than ever, uh, than ever now to kind of get athletes to share some of their experiences as well. Um, I think the point that Ricky made about, you know, every one of them uh, as an athlete that you work with is different, but they know their disability better than others. And we're still pushing coaches now. Um, just to be better at engaging with athletes, whether they're disabled or not, just speak to them. 
rather than think that the coach is king or queen and knows everything. When actually, I think disability sport really can be the um, the flag bearer and push uh, mainstream sport to start to think how we can work collaboratively with athletes. Because I think you guys, because of the constraints, probably need to do it more so. But actually, coaches of uh, of, of mainstream sport need to do it more anyway. So I think there's it's definitely something that you guys can um, can encourage others there. And the other thing I think was interesting with the point that you made at the end about from a, uh, a power rowing perspective and then being able to compete, I think it's sometimes not about being able to compete at the same, uh, you know, it's not going to be a photo finish between who wins between a para and a non-para, but actually just the process that para athletes have to go through in competition. So you've still got to, Get yourself ready for competition. You've got to get into the mindset of how you can perform your best. You've got to go through your pre-event warm-up, all the things that go with it, and then deliver a performance. I think the benefits that we can get from um, just going through that process are as important, even if the finish line might not be a photo finish. So the fact that there's no competitions until Tokyo, you know, that kind of worries me. And I think... I think we can definitely do better to to help athletes in that side of things just because of the pre-routines and the planning that they have to do, regardless of whether the outcome is because it's about their performance on what they think they can achieve or not. So I think there's some really interesting points there. So we're going to get into the second half of the program now. And this really is now about how do we change perceptions and how do we support coaches? So my six-year-old son plays rugby. And I help out with the coaching down there. And I know nothing about rugby. It's a silly game. You get the ball, you run back into a big pile of bodies where everyone else has been. I come from a world where you find the space. Like, I don't get it. So I struggle with the technical, tactical bits. I'm trying to get my head around that. And we've now got a young girl called Evie who um, is 95% deaf now. It, it wasn't from birth, but it's just rapidly um, disappearing. But she comes along and it, I'm now trying to uh, deal with a new sport with new coaches and coaches that haven't really coached before. Um, and even just trying to get them to say, look, you know, if you're going to talk to Evie, you've probably got to be in front of her. Because if you're standing behind and shouting her to do something, she's not going to hear. So I'm trying to battle with helping some coaches kind of work in that way. But for coaches that then have a young disabled athlete in their session, it can be quite scary for the coaches that they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to use the wrong words. And it's that fear of the unknown. So what are the kind of key things that you guys would help coaches with, whether it is a, a grassroots sport uh, and, and kind of just general physical activity or all the way through. So let's start with, with you, Francis, from your athlete perspective. How do you want coaches to, to engage with you that, that doesn't really kind of make it hard or scary for the coaches? I'd like them just to um, it, It's that simple. Um, when it comes to my disability, there's parts of it that are obvious. There are a lot of it that is not very obvious at all. 
Um, so as an athlete, um, I really appreciate it when a coach respects me for the knowledge and experience that I've got in my disability. And then we work together. I very much see it as a teamwork and that's how I approach it as a coach as well. So, and don't be afraid of asking, you know, um, that's, that's a really key word. You'll see from someone's expression, if you've got it wrong, you can say, sorry, how would you like me to, you know, if you think you have slipped up with a term that may not be quite right, you know, you can usually see from someone's expression change from their body language. And as coaches, we do that all the time when giving feedback to individuals. So it's no different to giving potentially slightly difficult feedback to someone. You're gauging their response and then you're modifying your next moves from that. And so the main thing is relax. Don't be afraid of it. We're human beings. And um, if you do say something, just as you'd say, say, oh, sorry, how would you like me to approach that? And they'll usually tell you. Mm. But the main thing is just respect their knowledge about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly my experiences of working in disabled sport, other than that, disabled people are the harshest to each other. More like coaches... <laughs> Coaches don't want to go down because of the nervousness of, of saying the wrong thing and being on PC. Like my experience of disabled athletes, they will tell each other exactly what they think and are probably the worst anyway. I mean, Jude, is that similar from your world? Yeah. Um, the only like experience I had of disabled people really, other than myself and my sister, were her friends and they're all profoundly disabled, like all had cerebral palsy when I was growing up. First of all, I went to wheelchair basketball um, and I went to put my stuff down in my room to get ready for like the junior competition I was in, um, was watching one of the double amp boys um, being dragged around in a pillowcase. It just, it's just how it is. Like they just, and they just rip it out of each other all the time. And it's just, yeah, I don't, I think maybe there's a line where you're like, oh, I don't want my coach saying that to me, but we will tell each other. Like it's, it's just like any other team sport really, isn't it? Like it's just... It's the it's the yeah the the humour we have with each other. Um, uh, I guess so. Off the rugby thing, uh, my sister plays rugby and she plays rugby with a, a deaf girl. Um, she plays for the England um, team and she also plays on an, on a able body team down here in Devon. So I think you're, like, I think what uh, a lot of coaches will find is that disabled people are very adaptive and they'll figure out their own ways around things. Um, so yeah, so she competes completely fine. She's an amazing athlete, and and the, I, I didn't know she was deaf until my sister told me, because she's figured out ways to get around that without having to be able to. Sometimes there's a little bit like you can tell if she's like really like running in the wrong direction, but like most of the time she's fine, and and you wouldn't know unless someone told you. Um, and I guess I'm yeah like Francis, like you just want people to ask you the question, so. Well, the the thing I like to do for exercise outside of basketball um, is CrossFit. I love going to CrossFit. Um, and I uh, emailed a gym down here when I first started, wanted to get into it after I'd watched the games and um, was really nervous to go because I was in my wheelchair at the time. I, I wasn't walking at all. I didn't know how it would work. Um, but I knew, knew you could do adaptive CrossFit. Um, and the, the owner down there, the coach down there was 
really enthusiastic about me getting down there and like took me through the whole session like followed me around and helped me adapt it all and I was a little bit kind of hesitant in how I was adapting things and he was making it harder and pushing me faster than I thought I could go um and it was yeah it felt it was such a hard workout because he did not let up on me he was relentless in it he was like no you can definitely do more than you think you can and the thing I love about that CrossFit gym is that if I go down there all the coaches just love the challenge of having to be creative around my disability and sometimes I don't know the answer because I'm still learning CrossFit and I'm not really sure what I can and can't do but they're always like well let's try let's try this way let's see if we can do it that way and do one-to-one sessions with me and we figure out ways of me doing the movements so I can still get a really good workout in and that's and I just feel really safe and really comfortable there because I know if I go and say I don't know if I can do this the normal way but let's try it this way or I'll say I don't know how to do this and they'll figure out a way of me doing it and just knowing that they, like, I feel safe enough to go to those coaches and say I'm not sure how I'm going to do this but I want to try and that they'll they're confident enough to just have a play around with it with me and figure out how it can work and be creative with solutions for me that's that's the thing that makes me keep going back is that I know the coaches are confident enough to try and to see and if we get it wrong we get it wrong but they push me and they want to make it work for me and they want me to feel comfortable there yeah, great. I think the big thing that jumped out there for me was about that adaptability that coaches need. Yeah. Um, but but linked with what Francis said about just you know have that conversation and and speak to me and it is very much teamwork. And um, Ricky, is that kind of aligned with some of your experiences? Obviously, because you come across from being a, an athlete in the sport, but the way that the you know yeah you've still got to get an arrow in a board, um, but the process is is different from your experiences as a as an athlete. How has that kind of affected how you coach? Um, I think it, it's it's always the important thing is is like we said, be collaborative and and listen um to what they can do, um, but still trying to get as close to um the technique. So almost like we've had um had it in the past where where athletes have again you know um not believe they could do something um and you know it's about understanding why they think they can't do it and actually is it is it actually a, a reason why they can't do it is it a physical reason or something or is it just that they perceive that they they're not capable of it and we've had quite a few successes where athletes have initially been um no i can't do that no i i can't hold a bow that weight um or I can't shoot that type of release aid and actually talking to them, understanding and, and understanding why they, they believe that and then saying, well, okay, well, how about if we try it this way or or do this um, to try and get them um, there? And we've had some really good successes, but they need to feel safe and confident to be able to do that and need to know that that you're listening to them and listening to their concerns. Um, to be able to to feel safe enough to be able to try something new or try something that they initially didn't believe um, to be the case. Um, but we, we've had some really good successes here um, in people um, actually questioning themselves. Uh, okay, can I do this? Why why have, why am I head of my saying I can't do this? Because you know I've been told that 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 might not be possible for me. Um, so yeah, so. It's about listening, about being 
creative it's very you need to be very creative and you need to think outside the box and look at things from a different perspective um you can't just go the normal way down things and i think for me it was always that that kind of like looking at how you can do things biomechanically efficiently you know i've as a female within our sport and as a female coach within our sport um it's been looking at you know how do we how do we kind of reduce that gap between what we what the men can do and and pull and that and what the women can do and actually how can you do it biomechanically efficiently so it, it, it kind of went quite nicely into the para world because I was always looking at how can we do something within our capabilities that that um, that we can do. Um, for me, coaching, um, I think some of the big things I've learned is is really making sure that that you don't like. I work with a lot of people in wheelchairs, and it it's being on an eye level with them and not not standing above them so we'll always try and make sure we've got a seat if i'm doing a coaching session so i'm not standing above somebody um because i think that's not a great great way to uh to you know it looks like you're talking down on them um, and i don't like that at all so always try to to be at eye level um with an athlete um, unless they're towering above me, and there's not much chance in that, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very tall. I do like coaching one of my athletes. I have to stand on two blocks just to get a decent view of his aeroflot. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, it's about being at eye level. I've also found, um, like, with coaches, like people who have come like for, through the grassroots and that. Um, co sometimes coaches want to overhelp. So they almost try take away people's independence, you know, like people, they're living their lives, you know, nearly all the athletes I work with have their own home and have to get in and out of the car and go shopping and put petrol in and, and, and have life. So no, they, you know, if, if it's fair, it's fine to offer to help, but if someone says no, then back off, like leave them with their independence because that's, you know, people always trying to like, our guys get really frustrated when we're abroad and they'll they'll be pushing along, you know, down to the training thing and people will just come and start pushing their wheelchair. <laughs> so, and, you know, athletes can get quite easily, like they're much better at gauging their own balance and, and cambers and things like that than, than somebody just starting to randomly push them. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a balance of like not, not trying to overhelp like these people these people they're, they're just people they have their own independence you know just just let them be offer to help like you would anybody um but if they say no it's it's a no um one of the other things that that's been quite helpful as well was um getting rid of parents and and carers as well because uh, like i think when you work with juniors um people have a tendency to kind of talk over like the child or or, or the athlete in the wheelchair direct to the carer. Um, so we kind of operate a, a no, no family, no carers in the environment um, because, you know, talk, it's about talking directly to the athlete, you know, not um, not talking above them or past them, um, which I've seen done in the past. And I think it's really important to 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 converse directly um no matter what what the disability 
Mm. I guess the question that jumps out to me now is how do we how do we teach coaches to have those skills? Because you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that um, that like Francis and Jude might want from an athlete's perspective. And I think we've got to be better at transferring those messages into coaching programs to help coaches learn that. That actually, like you talked about the point about independence there. I'm sure. I'm sure if Jude wants something, she will be vociferous enough to tell you. Um, and if she doesn't want something, she'll probably tell you as well. Um, but coaches would wouldn't necessarily understand that, and they'd think that they need to do that. So how how do we get those messages better into coaches? And I guess probably the other question there for for you, Ricky, is how did you learn this? Where, was it just because you got it wrong lots, or, or what was your experiences of kind of learning these skills for you as a coach? I definitely definitely got it wrong, um, but I tend to find that that if you show that that you're doing things with the right intention and that you're willing to learn and you're willing to accept when you're wrong, then actually, you know, it's about learning together. Um, so, um, yeah, I definitely definitely got some things wrong. Uh, it's about watching watching and just observing and. Um, and just just trying to trying to look from from everyone's you know all the different perspectives. Um, I think there's definitely more we can do within coach education. I think every sport kind of almost needs to have that within their their educate. I don't know. I don't know from other sports perspectives. Um, but I know that we need to have more within our coaching um, level one and level two. Um, coaching about working with athletes with disabilities is a bit, but there definitely needs to be more. Um, and um, and yeah, just just it being more visible. I think I think there's a lot of good organisations out there now um, starting to come about, and there's a lot you can follow on Twitter um, who are trying to to get para coaching um, more out there and more education about it. Um, but it's definitely something we could do better um, within all sports, I think. Mm. Okay, so we, we, as I thought, you know, we're we're rapidly approaching the end of the time, and it, it's it's flown by. If, if you could, if you could finish by saying, right, here's one key message that you would like to give to um, coaches that are going to be working either in disabled sport or, or going to have. Um, young disabled athletes or adults within their sessions um what's the kind of key thing that you would like to leave coaches thinking or or starting to consider jude what would be the message from you um i guess with any coach that i work with i just want them to like ask questions and to be creative like to not be afraid especially in para sports not be afraid like i think ricky said it earlier about not two athletes are the same even if they've got the same disability they'll work in very different ways um and to not be afraid to like to say you don't you don't know and to ask that athlete how they think the best way to do something is and i think yeah like i think ricky and Francis both said it at different points that disabled athletes are the best people to know their own bodies and will know how we can and can't do things and to feel like we're a part of the process um makes you feel far more valued especially it can be quite daunting as a as a disabled athlete to 
to try new things, especially if you've been told you can't do things from a young age, and to have a coach that's willing to to try in different ways and to push you a little bit and to see what you can, what you really can and can't do. Yeah, my my big thing with a coach is just to have someone that's creative and that wants to to try. That's what I really want from a coach. Brilliant, Francis. Your mute. I knew it was going to happen once today. I knew it was going to happen once. <laughs> I'm a nightmare for it. I'm an absolute. <laughs> um, I'd say to think about it is different ability, differability, and actually, in your general everyday coaching sessions, you have players of different abilities within your groups. That that's part of what being a coach is managing that. Um, but to build on that, I'd say be humble. Admit you don't know all the answers because every disability is different. Every person's body is different and works slightly differently. Be curious, be creative and keep a really open mind. And Brilliant. you'll fly. Superb. Ricky? Pretty much it's all been covered, but definitely ask questions and listen are probably my biggest tips. Um, yeah listening is the most important thing um don't assume any knowledge don't assume you have the answers um make sure you you work in a collaborative way mm, one of the um I, I i was listening to a podcast the other day and the question on it which i thought was really interesting for coaches and generally for people i think was um are you good at listening or do you just look like you're good at listening because listening as a skill is actually quite challenging at times. But um, yeah, I definitely can think of some people that I, I know that probably appear to be good at looking like they're listening, but actually don't. So that's a crucial bit. And I think, I think everything that you said there, the, the three of you, they're just messages for great coaching. You know, engage with the athletes, listen to them, make sure that they're part of the process uh, and push and challenge because everybody wants to be pushed and challenged, but with support as well to know that you're there. So I think everything that you just talked about there was, was great coaching. So if we can apply that to any people that we work with, I think the coaching world will be in a far better place. So just from, from us, the three of you, thank you for, for giving up your time. Um, dude, you, number two in the world, you, you got to cover that gap now. So now expecting big things. Uh, well, oh, it's the Dutch, is it? Right, okay. Yeah, it's the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, looking forward to seeing how you get on in, in Tokyo once uh, once we get there. In however it looks, I suppose, next year, I guess. Uh, um, and Ricky and Francis, thank you very much. And Jude, for, for giving up your time today. It's fantastic. Some, so many great messages that, that coaches need to hear from there as well. So, so thank you very much for, for doing that. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.